Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Danielle Zerow, who is the winemaker at Cade Winery up on Howl Mountain in the Napa Valley. Danielle, it is super fantastic to be sitting down with you today because you are one busy woman, and you've got like this really fascinating story so I can't wait to share it with everyone thank you for having me very excited to talk to you today to begin your father's from France (laughs) your mother is Irish was it inevitable you'd be making some sort of alcoholic (laughs) beverage in your future (laughs) well the the joke I like to say um is it's a perfect combination to have an an Irish mother and a French father. So I have the Irish liver and the French nose. So of course I became a winemaker, but no, growing up in Southern California, I did not think I was going to be a winemaker. Wine was always at the dinner table with my family and especially with my French relatives, most of them in Paris. Every meal was with a little thimble full of of wine. Um, sometimes cut with water. Water. My grandmother always did that. But my grandfather, when the wine was good, it was pure, no water. (laughs) So (laughs) I I grew up around wine, but it wasn't until I went to the University of California at Davis and really discovered this whole World. world of wine. Yes. So before we go there, I read somewhere that you thought you wanted to be a physical therapist. Yes. Is that true? That's true. Um, it, and that's what I intended to do when I um, went to UC Davis. I went in undeclared, but really my my thought was physical therapy. I, I liked snow skiing. And so I thought maybe I could do something with skiing and physical therapy, therapy. you know, I don't Sounds know. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. And really my freshman year at Davis, I was flipping through the course catalog going, what classes can I take? You know, what's, what's exciting? What's new? What's different? And I saw a class called Introduction to Wine. And I thought, why not? Hey, you know, I'm I at can UC learn a little Davis. bit. I'm at UC Davis. <laughs> I had no idea that Davis was this great school for wine. enology and, and viticulture. So I took that class my freshman year and I was hooked. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, and changed my major and never looked back. The so. rest is history, yes. so they say. So that being said, let's kind of accelerate things. You did Harvest at Tromsberg, Artessa. You worked abroad for a while. You returned to the Napa Valley and was an enologist and then assistant winemaker at St. Clement. And then you came here to Cade. Yes. So my first question is, how did you know you wanted to focus on Napa Valley? Because all your domestic work? was in the Napa Valley. Yeah, you know, while I was at Davis, we would do, um, you know, some field trips to to Napa, look at vineyards, maybe do a little wine tasting. And so um, I had already kind of put my toe in the water with Napa, even when I was at UC Davis. But that first um, 
harvest job that I got at Artessa really solidified my desire to be in Napa. Beautiful place, great restaurants, good people. You know, you're kind of out in the country a little bit, but you're still close to San Francisco. You're close to Tahoe for skiing, which right. is, uh, I had to have that. Um, and so I then did a second harvest at Schramsberg and was like, yeah, you know, this is a beautiful place to be. Great wines. This is kind of where I want to start. And so after traveling and finishing my degree, I really was looking for work in Napa. The challenge was my husband, uh, who we were just engaged at this time, we were both looking for the same job in oh, the no. same place. And so <laughs> we even went on a couple interviews like together because he had an interview at nine and I had an interview at 10, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we kind of thought, well, if we both want to, you know, be in the same area, Napa has a lot of wineries. Let's just focus on Napa. So really that's that evolution of it. But I, I always had, my heart was really in Napa than any other region. And, you know, I neglected to mention you also spent a little time at Stag Sleep Winery. So I don't want to overlook that as part of your resume. Yeah. <laughs> my first gig was actually at Stag Sleep um, as the enologist and assistant winemaker and then became a winemaker at St. Clement. And I spent okay. Um, seven years with St. Clement before joining Cade. So you've been at Cade now for around 10 years. Yeah, 11 years this year. How have you seen the brand evolve? Well, when I started, we had our, obviously our Cade estate vineyards. We were making Sauvignon Blanc, Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, and, and obviously Howell Mountain Cab. We slowly started to acquire more Howell Mountain fruit pull back a little bit on the Napa cab and increase our Sauvignon Blanc production. And and that's just the ebb and flow of the valley and how things change and with time, you know, consumers change tastes, I guess. We had a, a few properties sell and so we lost those contracts and we found other properties that we could work with. And so the mix changed a little bit, but We've always been making just Sauvignon Blanc and, and Cabernet Sauvignon. But really the pivotal point was in 2016 when we um, bought an additional 82 acres up here on Howell Mountain, um, which we call 13th Vineyard. Mm -hmm. And I became in charge of both properties, essentially doubled my production right. of Howell Mountain Cab. And all in a great way because the acquisition of that property, 13th Vineyard, really elevated, I think, the quality of our wines. I had just so much more fruit to work with, so much more blending opportunities. More choices. More choices, yeah. <laughs> and so I think that um, has, has been, one, a growth journey mm -hmm. with Cade and hopefully an increase in quality in the wines, but also just focusing on um, really two key wines, Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Blanc and Howell Mountain Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. Yeah. So when you came to Cade, it was your first chance to work with mountain fruit? No, actually at St. Clement, um, I worked with quite a bit of mountain fruit. Okay. So we did some single vineyard wines. So you cut your teeth on mountain fruit. Yeah. <laughs> so Mount Veter, Diamond oh, Mountain, mm -hmm. Howell Mountain. Yeah. I, I worked with quite a bit of mountain okay, fruit. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like Cade <laughs> was her first. Uh, it, it's just... 
maybe the best. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) How has your winemaking style evolved since you've been here? And how would you describe your style? I've always been a fan of Sauvignon Blanc, say, versus Chardonnay. Everybody that knows me knows I'm not like a huge Chardonnay fan. I really like crisp, clean, pure white wines that really show their varietal expression. Chardonnay sometimes gets lost in the technique of malolactic, of oak, of, you know, lee stirring and, and Or all just that. the term California Chardonnay. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody has a preconceived idea of what that is, right? Right. right. So, so I really like crisp, clean white wines. Mm-hmm. And then when I joined Cade, there was really a challenge with Howell Mountain Fruit because it can be really bold um, and really structured, very masculine, and almost like when you think of Howell Mountain of the 1980s and 1990s, you know, those are powerhouse wines that you had yeah, to age done. for 20 years. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And that really wasn't the approach of Cade. We wanted to showcase Howell Mountain fruit in a little bit of a different way, more balanced. And so to do that, you need to rely on something other than your palate because it's really hard to taste tannin when you still have a lot of sugar during fermentation and how mountain grapes just extract super fast. And, and that was a lesson learned um, very quickly. Like, oh yeah, I have a great palate. I can taste this, you know, then you taste the wines when they're totally dry. And it's like, oh my gosh, what did <laughs> I just do? This is massive. Um, so we had to use some chemistry to help us see what was happening with the juice as we're fermenting so we can make adjustments, so we can change our pump overs, change our temperatures, maybe press early. Um, and that was really something that I didn't do as much Early before on. joining Kate. That was um, a learning, but a great learning. Um, and really, I think, helped elevate the game, if you will, elevate the lines. We talked a lot about Sauvignon Blanc and, you know, of course, Cabernet, because those are the wines that are here. Simply put, how would you describe your winemaking style? When a consumer drinks one of your wines, which we're going to take a sip here in just a few minutes, what are they going to experience? The Sauvignon Blanc, I think you're really tasting the Sauvignon Blanc grape and all of the expressions that you can of get those from grapes. Sauvignon Blanc grown in different mm-hmm. regions throughout Napa Valley because this is a blend of several different vineyards. And I'm really trying to highlight those, the grapefruit, the citrus, Le- the lemon lime, the pineapple, mm-hmm. the even a little bit of honeydew melon and, and cantaloupe I think you can get with, with Sauvignon Blanc. So... Um, that is what I love about the Sauvignon Blanc. And then as far as the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, we're, we're pretty traditional in our techniques. You know, we're hand-picking the grapes, we're destemming, crushing, putting them in tank, doing a couple-day cold soak, and then pumping them over. And... But it sounds like you're trying to make that wine in particular a very approachable upon release, but also age-worthy. Absolutely. So the quality of the grapes the techniques that we're using are all about showcasing how mountain cabin in a, in a slightly different way, more balanced, mm-hmm. not this kind of in your face tannin, mm-hmm. but just taking some of the hard edges off, 
But if you want to lay that wine down for 20 years, you, you can. can do that. You can right. because of the quality of the fruit, the barrels that we use, the techniques that we're using to make the wine very traditional. It's grapes and barrels and yeast. That's it. Right. <laughs> so, well, and you're uh, finessing. And my, my blending, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, let's let's have a little bit of this SP. Um, okay. I think Sauvignon Blanc has become uh, like very popular these days. Mm-hmm. It's really a... Um, a growing, a growing wine. I don't, I think there's just so much more of it made than, than what was made 10 years ago. Would you agree? Or was it just hidden before and now it's just more in your face? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've always um, been making Mm. Sauvignon Blanc since um, I was at St. Clement. We, we made Sauvignon Blanc. So it's always been in my repertoire of of portfolio portfolio of wines. I, I feel like the challenge with Napa Valley is growers are pulling out some of these other varieties because Cabernet Sauvignon is king. Mm-hmm. And the areas that were maybe more well-suited for Sauvignon Blanc, growers are saying, well, but I can get $8,000 a ton, $9,000 a ton for Cabernet, so I'm going to plant that mm-hmm. instead of Sauvignon Blanc. So our challenge has been just finding really good quality Sauvignon Blanc that it's still there that hasn't been ripped out and, and right. replanted. Replanted, um, right. And I think a, a lot of maybe the bigger groups, bigger growers have shrunk in their Sauvignon Blanc plantings hmm. in preference for Cabernet. I understand the uh, economics of it, but I do feel like a lot more wineries are making Sauvignon Blancs. Or I'm just finding more of them, but you're accustomed to making it, so you've seen it all the all the time. So well, I love the variety. So yeah. um, you know, the more people that showcase it, I think the better, because I think it's a really fun um, fun wine, fun to drink. It goes with everything as far as food, you know. I mean, the aroma on this wine blows you away. It's like honey, honey, honeydew. Mm, it just smells so good. Yeah, and I, I get a lot of the citrus notes, the orange blossom and the grapefruit. Lemon oh, yeah, lime on the palate. On the yeah. palate. A little bit of that pineapple. It's fantastic. Thank you. It is great. What's your favorite pairing with it? I do like it with fish. Um, I mean, that's so standard, but hamachi or sushi mm-hmm. or a ceviche or something like that, I think is a really great pairing. But I also just like it with maybe like some cheese. Spicy. Yeah, cheese. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or, it's very versatile cheese yeah. or some spicy food. Or because, spicy yeah. food, yeah. It, would, it absolutely. would be fantastic with. It is really wonderful. Thank you. Uh, no surprise, right? <laughs> let's talk about some numbers. What's the case production here? So we are in total between the Cade and 13th Vineyard, about 20 to 25,000 cases, depending okay. on the vintage. So, okay. so you, know, you have a second label. So 13th Vineyard is our Does other have. property that we bought in 2016 right. with 82 acres. Formerly Ladera. Formerly Ladera. And um, all of that fruit goes into either the Cade Estate Hell Mountain Cab or the Reserve Hell Mountain Cab. Cade okay. Reserve Hell right. Mountain Cab. Um, and then we make just a very small production of a 13th Vineyard, single vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon. 300 cases oh wow of that and that's all through our tasting room and our wine club yeah so between the the so the Sauvignon Blanc and our Cade Estate Hell Mountain Cab are our two largest 
production Mm -hmm. wines that we make. Everything else is very small, uh, a thousand cases or less. Okay. We do. Yeah. Top moment of your career so far? Actually, I think um, when we bought 13th Vineyard. So we were in, I I sat in this office with our GM, John, and he said, um, you know, Ladera's for sale. What do you think? And I said, before you, we talk about this, I need to tell you that I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, okay, that's fine. And he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I think it's a good move. I think we need to do this because it would be a great addition to Cade, shore up, you know, our supply with over a hundred acres on how mountain of a beautiful property. That property is amazing. It is very amazing pretty. dirt, amazing wines. I'm like, and we then across do the it. street, there's a lake. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty too. Yeah. So I was like, it, it would be great for Cade to do this, but you know, kind of going through the process and, and just the lawyers and, the, and oh, everything, mm-hmm. it was demanding. And we closed on the, you know, the deal. We got the keys to the property on September 30th of 2016 and I was picking grapes the next day I'm like that's how kind of down to the wire it was okay but then perhaps more importantly (laughs) when did you deliver (laughs) yeah so I was about you know seven months pregnant going through harvest on in September in in September you know we kind of finished up harvest mid-November and I had uh, my son Blake on November 30th so (laughs) that's a great story yeah you know I I went on maternity leave and and came back and tasted through the wines that we made for that 16 vintage and and I was like wow we made some really great wines and I was really happy with brand new property new winery not a lot of time to figure it out what was happening in the vineyard or, or in, and we made some really great wines. So I was, I was pretty happy with that moment. And, yes. and I have an amazing son, Blake, um, too. So that's the bonus yes, <laughs> or the reward. I yes. think along the way in your winemaking career, is there someone that stands out that has been a great inspiration or a mentor to you that you can speak to? There's a couple people in my life that um, maybe I'd point out. Um, the first is Robert Britton. He was the winemaker at Stag's Leap Winery. And he really encouraged me to trust my palate. And that was because I. he said, you have a good palate. You should just trust your instincts, knowing that you know what you're tasting, other people will like. And that was a great kind of confidence booster as far as the winemaking aspect of it. Second is, is my dad who always told me to go after it. Don't rest on your laurels. If you will, if you want a job, go get it. And through his career, he, he learned he was an aeronautical engineer, um, designed flight control systems. He would always say when I wanted a job, when I wanted to work on a specific airplane, like the Concorde or the, you know, 777 or whatever it was, he was like, I, I went after it and I got that job. And I always remember that because um, you don't want to be passed up for something right. in your career. And so I knew I wanted to be a winemaker. And when there was a position that came up that I thought would be a good fit, I went after it. Um, but lastly is my husband, who's also a winemaker. And he's given me great support and advice over the years. 
and he has al- allowed me to change jobs and and try new things and he stayed at the same job for, <laughs> for 23 well, years good for him good for him <laughs> um but i've uh, definitely well now i'm at the dream job here at cape but um was always kind of looking for that how can i be a better winemaker and and and, and, and get right to place. where i want to be right. the right place yeah in your household do you all have taste offs We do on occasion. Um, Let me just say that my husband is also a winemaker. He makes Cabernet Sauvignon. He makes um, Merlot, which I don't make. um, Right. Does he he make Sauvignon Blanc? He doesn't make, not anymore. Okay. So Um, it would just be a cabs. (laughs) It might be a cab showdown. Yes. (laughs) My parents have learned that when we come for dinner, there is a bottle of Cade and a bottle of Ballantine so that there's no favoritism. <laughs> That's probably why. And so that is how we kind of operate. <laughs> operate. <laughs> you, you know, he makes great wine. He's a great winemaker. I just have a different animal up here right. on Howl Mountain, and so we can't really compare them. Um, we're both just making great wine. Wouldn't it be super fun to do, have blind tastings and have, have the group vote their favorite? <laughs> Same vintage. I, I'm just saying it might be kind of fun to do. The mystery mystery dinner taste-off or something. Uh, I read, getting back to business, I read that you were a big cheerleader, if you will, of, of the corkscrews and making them cool. Yeah, you mean screw caps? Or yeah, what did I say? Corkscrews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, screw caps. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of screw caps. So in my first job at Stag's Leap Winery, I was asked to blend um, a wine for a brand called Two Tone Farms, and it was an all screw cap Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, and we had an, a Chardonnay as well. All under screw cap, and it was like twenty five bucks a bottle at that time, and I was like, "Great, I love screw caps. You don't have to deal with cork taint. It's easy to open. I'm on board." And I would go out selling that wine with my suit and my skirt, and you know, my best lipstick on, and carrying my bottle, my screw cap bottle of Two Tone Farm, and I'd walk into a restaurant, and the sommelier would say, "Get out of here. I don't want that. I want my cork." Napa Valley needs cork. And I was like, I I don't get it. I don't get it. So finally, I get to Cade. And obviously, they've been pioneers, if you will, in high price point Napa Valley Cabernet under screw cap. And John Conover, the GM, sat me down and he said, what do you think about screw caps? And I said, I've been doing screw caps for my whole career. I'm a big fan. I'm on board. Why don't you do all of it (laughs) under screw cap? (laughs) You know, and he said, well, people still have their tie to cork. They still want that tradition, that romance. romance. And I said, okay, well, I'm here to help change that and and tell the story of why screw caps are such a great closure. And so now we bottle our Cade Reserve Howl Mountain Cabernet Sauvignon half under cork, half under screw cap, so that you as the consumer can decide for yourself. Which, which closure is better? I know what I like. I don't have to deal with cork taint with screw cap. Mm-hmm. It's a very, screw cap is a very reliable, consistent closure. We've done studies with UC Davis to prove that. 
for me, I don't want any bottle to bottle variation when it comes to, I hope you enjoy more than one bottle of Cade <laughs> over right. time. And I want each bottle to taste the same from the same vintage. And with cork, there's variability. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I can't control. And as a winemaker, I want to control everything. I want to control every aspect of it and make sure it's perfect, you know, before you open it. And with cork, there's issues. So why not do screw cap? Have you tasted? And can you tell the difference? 100% can tell the difference. So what I found, at least for the Cade wines, maybe the first year in bottle, that difference between cork and screw cap. Are we talking cabs? Cabs. Right, yes. Very, very small. You can't really tell the difference. Mm -hmm. But once you get a couple years of bottle age on those wines, there is absolutely a difference. Screw cap, screw cap more fresh, more vibrant, more acidity, more like the day it was bottled. Cork, you start getting into some of the um, secondary tertiary flavors, the fruit leather, the the cedar, the the plum aspects. And that's because of basically an an oxidation of the wine because when you squeeze the cork and shove it into a bottle, you're actually forcing air into the wine because a cork is bark of a tree and it has air trapped inside that. Mm-hmm. And so what we don't know is really how much air is being forced into the wine, in essence, oxidizing it earlier. We do know with screw caps, because they are manufactured and we can choose different liners, we choose Serenex, which does allow a little bit of air into the wine. But tin you can also use, which is more like a hermetic seal, so there's no oxygen ingress, which is why I say um, screw cap wines tend to be more fresh and vibrant, more like the day they were bottled, Mm. which in my mind is the day of bottling is this is the wine. This is perfect. I've done my part. This is all I can do. You are out into the world now (laughs) for everybody to enjoy. I've raised you. (laughs) Yes, I raised you and now go. Go. (laughs) Well, and because of the evolution of your winemaking here at Cade and making the the Hal Mountain cab more approachable upon mm-hmm. release, it works. We've done tastings numerous times, cork versus screw cap, side by side, blind. And if I had it for you today, you would absolutely tell the difference between the wines. Mm-hmm. I know for sure you would. Now, when it comes to which one you prefer, cork versus screw cap, that's really your... It's a personal preference. It's a personal preference. Let's now talk about this vintage. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, 2023 was interesting. You know, we got, had crazy rain. Uh, most rainfall in California in a long, time. a long time, which was great because we were in a huge drought. Mm-hmm. And so refilling our reservoirs, recharging that groundwater has been amazing. Um At the end of February, we had a foot of snow here Mm -hmm. at Cade, so much so that we could snowboard down the driveway. You probably loved that. It was pretty fun. (laughs) The snow was the storm of a a century. You know, we never see anything like that. We had a lot of downed trees because of the weight of the snow, just knocked them over. 
Um, I had to delay my bottling because we had so much snow on the ground and trees down and um, it was it was interesting. But um, 2023 has been delayed. We're about three to four weeks behind normal, I would say. We had a late bud break, a relatively cool spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping in the next you know couple months here, we're going to get a little heat. Um, those vines will keep growing and we'll have an amazing harvest um, and, and season. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm very optimistic. I'm used to picking in November anyway. We're probably going to be picking in November this year, but that's fine. As long as we can get it phenolically ripe, flavor ripe, we'll make great wine. So Okay, so she's optimistic. Yes. Is there a wine on your wish list to make someday? I would love to make a Rhone, whether it be Syrah or Grenache or Petite Syrah. Those are kind of my go-tos outside of Cabernet Sauvignon. I would love to do that. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, we're going to switch now to your personal life. Okay. We've had hints of it in this conversation. (laughs) You live in the town of Napa. Yes. All the places you could have lived in the Napa Valley. How did you choose to live in Napa? It's a bit of a commute. (laughs) It's a bit of a commute, but but a beautiful one. I mean, it's through the vineyards. I can't complain. It's not like Orange County, which is a concrete jungle and you're in traffic all the time, you know, so I really don't complain about the drive up here. It's, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. Napa, we kind of settled in Napa because there were great restaurants. There's a downtown, you get a little bit of culture, a little bit of, you know, at least go to the movies and stuff. And, um, we bought our first house in 2001 and felt really lucky to kind of get into the housing market when it was still affordable. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and since then have moved to our current house and we love it. We have a great community, great neighborhood. My son can play on the street and bike around and I, you know, don't have to worry about him going safety is safety. Yeah. I just tell him, don't go past the mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And be home when the lights, the street lights turn on, (laughs) turn on, you know, there are rules. Yeah. Well, and Napa's, you know, come into its own. So it's a happening place. Yeah. Much different than 2001. Yeah, the restaurants are better now, for sure. There's a nightlife. There's a nightlife, yeah. And I guess we saw the potential in Napa when we we first got our jobs here. And um, that was when I was working at Stag's Leap. And yeah, it just made sense. And No, and affordability. And affordability, yeah. For sure. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style, Danielle? Tell us. I guess I'm I'm a little bit of pottery barn with like a splash of crate and barrel. <laughs> okay. Is that modern and comfy? I guess. I don't know. I do like comfortable and maybe more like traditional style, but with pops of color and art. Predominant so have, color is what? Uh well, grays and blues and purples. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just uh, kind of getting out of the 
2000 decor and getting more into the <laughs> modern decor, if you will. You're evolving. I'm evolving, <laughs> yes. Constantly redecorating and my husband would say I have too many pillows, but that's oh. how, you know, you change the, that's the whole feel yeah. of the room, Different right? colors, different <laughs> styles of pillows. Yeah. You could tell them it could be uh, pillows or it could be a new piece of furniture. Exactly, which, exactly. Which would you prefer? <laughs> Favorite room in the house? Uh, the family room. Uh, no, kitchen. Let's go kitchen. And yeah. why? We love to cook. Um, my husband is a great cook. I'm a great supervisor and manager um, of the cooking. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But we like entertaining. And, um, you know, it's it's always nice to have friends over and cook a great meal. And we know the wine's going to be good. Right. You know, and... Um, that's to me what home is is um a great meal with friends and family and and good wine so is that your secret to guarantee a successful dinner party oh yes well my husband and i are are pescatarian so we we don't eat meat but we don't want to force that i guess on all of our friends and family who might be meat eaters so we try to make meals that will fill all of the holes if you will and satisfy and um even the last couple of years my husband's like i'll buy i'll throw a couple steaks on the grill that's fine we can we'll have our fish and they can have their steaks you know and he loves um you know cover the steak with all sorts of nice red wine reduction sauces and stuff like that yummy stuff yes, <laughs> so, makes it even better yeah i think just you know the more flavors and kind of cuisines that you can bring and introduce to people. Um, I love cooking French food. I love desserts. Um, so a successful dinner party is good, stinky French cheese, you know, maybe a, a, a potato leek tart with asparagus and grilled asparagus and, and um, roasted potatoes. And then a beautiful dessert. How about chocolate mousse? <laughs> wow. That all sounds great. Sounds fantastic. And definitely a good time. Yes. For sure. When you kick back and relax or have a dinner party, what kind of music do you like to put on? What's your favorites? I'm a I'm a classic rock girl, I think, with you know, I do like my my Beatles or my Fleetwood Mac or Eagles kind of thing, but I'll throw in an ABBA or mm. some disco in there too. All right. You know? <laughs> be a dance party <laughs> yeah I mean we, we could we can go in all genres really but I think if I'm gonna relax and just chill just classic rock is there something that we haven't talked about already that people might be surprised to learn about you do you rappel down mountains <laughs> did you do something crazy as a child is there a hidden secret that uh, you can share people probably don't know that I was on the ski patrol up in Tahoe. So my senior year of high school, I did all the training um, to become a volunteer ski patroller and um, was really excited that I passed and like got my license. And so when I knew I was going to UC Davis, I asked around, you know, hey, where, where can I go in Tahoe to be a volunteer ski patroller? And so connected with the whole volunteer group and and did that for a year, which was awesome. You know, taking people down a mountain and a toboggan is quite challenging. 
And, um, but I, I learned a lot doing that and it helped me become a much better skier. I enjoyed that time, but it also solidified that I didn't want to be in the medical field. Physical (laughs) therapy. (laughs) Most people probably don't know that I did that, but I love skiing and I love being in the snow. So that is my other passion for sure. Yes. So that would be my next question is, do you have a hobby or do you collect something? And I would think that maybe one of your hobbies is skiing. I don't know if you'd call that a hobby, but certainly a pleasure. Uh, Photo albums and just, um, you know, we all take a million pictures on our iPhones and um, I hate when they're just in that device and you can't enjoy them, look look at them and enjoy them. So Mm I, I love just building photo albums of all of the memories that I want to keep. I'm a very visual person, and so um, I put them together and by year and, you know, just kind of as a quick thing to remember our lives and, and what we've done. So, right. so I, I just like pictures. and, and That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's because we all have relied on our phones to take pictures you know, we don't have a chance to to look back yeah. at them at, like we once used to yeah. in the olden days with <laughs> photo albums. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It's a great idea every year. Just dump your photos into yeah. an album. Yeah, I was just, hmm. um, I was, in fact, just talking to my parents about it because my dad celebrated his 80th birthday and mm-hmm. I put together a little slideshow for him, you know, like, yeah. Here, here's your life, dad. And um, and going through his photo albums, you know, the old paper photo albums sure. with the sticky paper and stuff. Right. Um, I realized there was this gap of his life between Fuji or Kodak film, oh. you know, cameras mm-hmm. versus the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And we all went digital with our cameras right. at, at some point. But then where did we store all those pictures? Right. And it was like on CDs or who knows somewhere. where, somewhere. Right. It's probably still in a camera <laughs> in or, a drawer somewhere. Yeah, right? exactly. And I was like, dad, there's like 10 years of your life where I don't, I don't have any pictures of what you were doing. <laughs> and I found it um, really interesting. Then my mom goes, yeah, we should figure out where those pictures are. I said, get exactly. on it. You're retired. <laughs> yeah, you have time. You have time. <laughs> Look for it. Look for it. A great passion and a great idea for sure. I am also sure you've done quite a bit of traveling. Yes. yes. Is there a memorable trip that you can share with us or a meaningful one? We, um, over the last couple of years, have done a few wine education trips all over the world. Um, I was in Italy this year. Last year, I was in Australia. Um, in 2019, we went to Portugal, Spain, and Madeira. Wow. Um, and that trip, I think, was really amazing. One, um, because I'm in this world of wine, but I don't know every wine, and I don't know you know every country. And, and so I really got to understand the wines of Portugal and the wines of Madeira which I thought were fascinating and really um, interesting and, and amazing to drink and and just learn about. So I find that to be an amazing part of this whole career that I'm in, that I get to travel the world in the name of wine, you know, and learn about wines of the world still at this point of my career, I think is really, really cool. 
Fantastic. I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't we all want to keep learning? Yeah. yeah. You know, it makes life more interesting mm-hmm. that way. One last question before we wrap things up, and that is your grandfather, or was it your great-grandfather, yeah. was the one that had the vineyards in Burgundy? Yes. And did his son make wine no no? so my um my grandfather was um an engineer okay like my dad being an engineer like his brothers being engineer like several of my cousins (laughs) being engineers Um, and so I I feel like the winemaking you know gene kind of skipped a a couple generations before (laughs) it came back to me so did anyone uh was is your at one point, was your great grandfather able to taste your wine? No, Aww, no, that's a bummer. But my grandfather tasted did. my wine. Okay, yes. yes. And did you get the stamp of approval, even though he's an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I told you, you know, my grandmother would cut her right. wine with water. water. And um, I knew my grandfather liked my wine because it didn't get cut, cut. with water. <laughs> and he he had a, a big glass of it. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, yes. that's that's wonderful. Well, Danielle, we are going to wrap things up with five quick questions. They're really, really lighthearted. Okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? A Ford F-150. Okay. Favorite flower? Peony. Okay. What's one word that best describes you? Smiling. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Who would be your dream dinner guest? Ooh. Um, Oprah Winfrey. Okay. And what is your favorite city to visit? Paris. There you have it, Danielle. You've been fantastic, and I can't thank you enough for carving out some time. Thank you. This was really fun. Thank you, Michelle. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.